0: On today's episode of Raising Your Antenna, Shante Harris and I address a topic that is all too often overlooked and misunderstood. The issue is public and private investment in infrastructure and innovation that may not yield short-term impact and profits, but are key to the future of our cities and quality of life. Shante is uniquely positioned to address this and other issues in her role as venture partner at Republic and as a renowned influencer and advocate for smart cities, urban innovation, and impact investing. Shantae makes some incredibly important points about the need, inevitability, and opportunities for smart city transformation. I must have her back as a guest in the near future as 30 minutes was not nearly enough, but I guess the best episodes are the ones that leave you wanting more. Back with Shantae and the time it takes for me to put down a chocolate glazed Dunkin' Donut. You're listening to Raising Your Antenna with host Keith Sackheim. Shantae, welcome to Raising Your Antenna.
1: Hi, Keith. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Pleasure is all mine. Uh, and i um, thrilled that we were able to get this together. I know I had to cancel the last time because of... Uh, some of the COVID craziness in schools, and I had to pick up my daughter uh, for a runny nose. Thankfully, she tested negative, so that was all good. So I appreciate your forbearance in joining me today, and really happy to have you. So before we begin, Shante, my listeners are always interested in our guests' professional backgrounds, career journeys, that sort of thing. So uh, if you can fill us in on all that.
1: Sure, yeah. You know, I like to say I'm a champion of urban innovation and civics. Um, you know, my background really started in, in kind of everything political and wonky that you could think of. Um, I worked during the uh, former Obama administration to scale national issue-based campaigns and honestly got to work with, I think, some of the, the most intelligent and innovative thinkers as it relates to uh, policy, um, whether that be, you know, thinking about climate change, I think a bit more before it was trendy, uh, when we look at, you know, a lot of that, that discourse happening now. Um, to uh, really thinking about women's empowerment as we look at an increase in women starting businesses. You know, I was doing a lot of policy work around some of those issues uh, several years back. Um, And then I also got to do uh, some work with uh, government. And so uh, again, whether that be on the Hill or a local government in DC, prior to coming to New York. um, I've really kind of seen what it looks like to implement on a national level and a local scale as it relates to policy. Um, I decided to leave DC, uh, wanted, I think, just a change of scenery and and wanted to see what else was out there and came to New York. Uh, Worked across different sectors through a program I was a part of where I really got to see kind of how do you bring together, uh, you know, cross sector uh, collaborators and leaders to build big solutions for cities like New York. And so um, for the past about four and a half years, I've been really working as a go-to-market strategist, thinking about how do do you scale everything from, you know, emerging industries, whether that be early stage, growth stage, or established companies pushing out new products and solutions uh, to corresponding initiatives that think about policies that actually allow them to Uh, innovate right and grow um, and also work with some of the political leaders and thinkers um, that are trying to drive more of a what I would hope would be the norm in the future, which is a proactive way of thinking about uh, working with technology and other innovative ideas as opposed to what we oftentimes see as a a reactive uh, response to emerging industries and and how do we build regulations around them. So I'm really passionate about urban innovation, place-based innovation and um, what i like to talk about now these days, and I've coined as creative community resilience, which really just means how do we uh, acknowledge some of the uh, ideas that exist in cities and really work to, I think, deploy, innovate around, and build policy solutions for some of the the great innovators that exist within the communities um, and cities. So uh, that's a little bit about my background. Really excited to be here and chat further about some of those topics.
0: Fantastic, yeah. And, and uh, you've hit on so many hot button issues um, that uh, I think um, are not just super impactful, uh, but are uh, realities um, that everybody, uh, every sentient being is going to be experiencing uh, transformation. Um, now, whether that's, you know, how short-term or long-term it is, uh, is always something that without a crystal ball, one can not predict. Uh, but I'm very comfortable predicting uh, that everybody's going to be, uh, you know, dealing with this kind of transformation, I think in a positive way, uh, but certainly it's going to impact all of our lives. So th- that's fantastic. And I'm sure working on these kinds of issues are the kinds of things that uh, get you out of bed in the morning. And uh, I'm sure you're excited to attack your day. Uh, so that's that's something uh, I think all of us strive for. Uh, so, you know, Milton Freeman famously penned an op-ed in the New York Times, I think, either this this past month or... month before was the 30th or 40th anniversary of the piece in fact the new york times had or or the wall street journal had a special section in which they had about 20 different people respond to it 30 years later but anyway the the article argued uh, that the sole purpose of a corporation is to make money for shareholders and that any other consideration i think in his words was immoral uh, but certainly counterproductive Uh, and that became the guiding principle of the business world for three decades Uh, But times have changed and corporate America now sees other stakeholders as equally important to their survival uh, and their ability to thrive. And that's, you know, workers, community and the environment, to name a few. You're a national leader in harnessing urban innovation and the resources of corporate America to not just make money, but to drive social impact. Can you unpack that model and reflect on your experience in dealing with the various stakeholders of this model?
1: Um, Keith, thank you for that thoughtful question and um, you know I studied economics and continue to Uh, just think a lot about how do we uh, create new economic models, but also sustain the ones that are working over time. And so while I started out doing a lot of policy work um, and didn't think that it would lead me to uh, advising businesses around go-to-market strategy, I think now I can see actually a lot of alignment and sort of how I've been able to apply uh, my economics and government background to the work that I do. Um, But getting to your question, you know, I think we're at a time where uh, the impact piece and the revenue piece is is really not mutually exclusive. And um, having seen that firsthand through uh, launching community impact initiatives for um, some of the the fastest growing startups, you know, that are scaling across cities throughout the country, um, or even supporting, you know, more established companies that have been around for decades and kind of thinking about how do they reach a new generation of customers? How do they think thoughtfully, but also strategically about the way that they market, the way that they talk about, you know, what they sell and their unique value proposition. Um, And I think, you know, even if we look at kind of the investment side of things, you know, 85% of, individual investors now express interest in sustainable investing strategies and obviously sustainability kind of feels like the the easy go-to topic but it certainly is a, a very dire topic of our time um, as it relates, right, to the environment and sustaining human life. Um, but outside of that, I think it's also a huge driver for business as, we, as we've been able to see over the past several years. You know, in 2019, $715 billion was invested in social enterprises and companies with an impact or sustainability focus. And so I think, you know, while may, perhaps historically, we can kind of look at what has happened with business and sort of see, you know, protecting shareholders and, and ensuring that we're creating real ROI in terms of their investments as exclusive from this impact idea or this idea of impact and, and driving um, some sort of social change, um, now we're just at a different time. And so, you know, I've been lucky enough to kind of see it e- even change within my uh, my experience of guiding uh, startups and companies and, and growth. And so when I started talking about it probably four years ago before my firm uh, or as my firm was launching our sustainability practice, you know, it, it, w- it didn't quite click as much as it does now. Right. And so I think what we're seeing is a, a real change, a real progression and how, Uh, Companies can actually tie, whether it be their branding, their marketing, their messaging uh, to impact focused initiatives, to sustainability focused initiatives, to how they're increasing their sales or how they're reaching a new audience. And I think that's really exciting. And so, um, you know, I, I look at it less as kind of. You know what's the cost of doing it and more what's what's the opportunity at this point because i think there's so much opportunity for companies to sort of see how um addressing issues it's not every issue right i think you have to be strategic you're you're not going to tackle every issue as a company but i think what we've seen in light of um this this sort of newer trend is that you know people are really looking for companies to kind of double down on well what do you do and how do your impact? initiatives actually run throughout the way you talk about your business versus being some, you know, CSR department that kind of dishes out money, uh, towards, you know, a random board, right. That someone. Sits yeah. on. no, I, 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 I think, think that
0: that's absolutely true. And then you see, I mean, the, the era of greenwashing, right. So it's kind of cynically talking the talk and, and maybe throwing some money at things, but not really, uh, fundamentally changing people's business, uh, you know, to more circular economy or supplying, you know, or, or greening the supply chain, or, you know, making mandates on suppliers that they supply there, uh, that they green their manufacturing process. I mean, all those kinds of things are, are, are you know, from my perspective, tangible uh, improvements and innovation that you see from corporate America. Um, and, and you know, and then of course the money on the sidelines to invest in these things is just through the roof, right? So the ESG uh, mandates uh, in terms of, you know, that pension funds have now and, and big financial institutions have now to invest in uh, public companies is, you know, trillions of dollars on the sidelines. So um, you know, for sure, I think that there, there's incredible opportunity and you have this, convergence of a of, uh, recognition uh, that there needs to be smart, clean innovation uh, and business models with the fact that you can also, you know, do really well uh, financially. So, you know, Shantae, you've been a vocal, visible and effective leader uh, in the movement to transform our cities into smart cities. So just for our listeners, can you first kind of please define smart cities? Because I know it means different things to different people. Uh, And then my question is, because I know you've been on the front lines of policy debates, and I'm sure at different legislative hearings and speaking to legislators, is there the political will to do this first? And second of all, in an era of less tax revenue revenue and stretched public budgets, does the money exist to transform our cities?
1: Yeah, uh, such a timely and important uh, question. I think um, as it relates to smart cities, I actually find myself using that phrase less these days um, and I had a really great discussion with a friend over at Bloomberg not too long ago about this. But you know, I think ultimately we talk about smart cities, we're really talking about progressing cities forward right? and, and giving uh, the decision makers, uh, government officials, folks who make really important decisions for the livelihood um, of residents every day, the tools and the resources and the, the innovative um, ideas they need to make the best decisions, the most informed decisions, Um, and the decisions that are really going to progress uh, cities moving forward. Um, And so when I think about about defining it, it really just, it really looks like making sure that we, I think, one, understand where city um, stakeholders are at at the moment, right? I mean, we're talking about some places where uh, Excel spreadsheets, right, are still the norm. And I think, you know, acknowledging that COVID has disrupted a lot of those, Um, What, you know, most people would argue are kind of uh, out of date procedures and tools to actually efficiently move things along or move things along, I think, in in a more rapid uh, response or at a more rapid rate that um, I think is required at this important time in history. Um, so smart cities to me really just means giving folks the tools to to make better decisions so that they can innovate and um, you know provide resources uh, quicker to residents and um, at a, at a greater scale and a more impactful scale. Um, Do you find that when you speak? Goes- Do you
0: find that when you speak with legislators, um, elected officials, or even you know appointed officials or bureaucrats that they understand kind of what it means to um, reimagine our cities, what it means to uh, make them smart, what it means to make them more sustainable? I mean, do they, can they even comprehend the vision Uh, or are they so embedded in their legacy systems that it's very, very difficult?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think nothing is a a monolith, right? And so I think that we have really great leaders, especially if you look at the city level here in New York that are really focused on, you know, how do we think about the future of cities and and how do we innovate on um, things like infrastructure and the built environment. And, um, you know, they may not have all of the answers, but I, I think a lot of the conversations I have on both sides is, hey, you know, businesses will oftentimes rush to deploy things and try things out and not really think about the unintended consequences of them while on the other end, you know, elected officials, government, public stakeholders really have no choice but to think about those consequences every day. And so how do we bring, you know, both to the table to really talk about, again, instead of, you know, maybe reacting or um, deploying something and then having the discussion, actually working to do it together. And so, you know, I'll just say that I think there are some really great leaders in government that understand that I get to work with them. And, you know, they, uh, I think they're, they they are are attuned to what's happening and are looking to move things forward. I think, of course, it varies. I think everyone's not following the latest technologies. They're not understanding at what rate, you know, everything is really being uh, disrupted. But I think that there are people who are, right? And you see that through things like pilot projects that come out of the city and the state, uh, wanting to test new technologies. I, I think my hope is that we see more of that happening. So, you know, I I appreciate your question. I think that um, sometimes there, I, I believe there is kind of this myth that, you know, know, no one in government wants to see uh, things move forward, or or they don't maybe have uh, the ability to actually think about future of cities in the same way. And, you know, I would argue that no, they think about it from their their perspective, right, policy, um, understanding how it's going to impact communities. um, And I think everyone comes from a different perspective. But there are certainly players that that really are Looking to be supportive in terms of the types of, um, you know, uh, initiatives they start or policies that they push. Yeah. Um, I think to to talk about your specific question, you know, around the lack of tax revenue, I think that that is a big concern. And so, you know, while I don't think we're going to see huge um, amounts of money coming out of the city, particularly as we kind of wait to see what federal government looks like and whether or not New York will get the amount of support that it really needs to combat something like COVID and such. in in such a dense environment, um, I think that what we can do though, and what I'm hoping you know we'll see more of, and what I've been advocating for is, you know, how do we start to test some of these technologies that can be unique solutions for creating things like the 15 mile, or excuse me, the 15 minute city, right, that we see in other global cities like Paris, particularly in light of COVID. You know, what are the technologies and the solutions that we can start to test that don't require a huge amount of you know money upfront, but you know could be really viable solutions for us to scale in light of a cut budget and also, you know, a need to kind of think about doing things differently.
0: Yeah, no, thank you. And uh, first of all, you're 100% correct. Um, you know, it's unfair to, to paint uh, all elected officials or government officials with a broad brush. And, and there are definitely those, uh, many, many, and hopefully many, uh, that, that, that are, um, you know, supportive and, and ready to listen and learn. I think the biggest problem, though, is not a question. This is not going to be me editorializing. But I think the, the, the biggest I think bottleneck and impediment to government really driving this forward is there's just an incentive problem, right? So elected officials um, are loath to uh, invest money in long-term projects that potentially uh, the time span will exceed their term in office, right? So when they go out to run for re-election, they need to show the here and now. I spent X dollars and it yielded Y results in the last year or two years. And a lot of inf- and this is not just true of, of of smart cities it's true of you know just regular infrastructure, bridges and roads and what have you. That spending that kind of money for long-term results, um, unfortunately, uh, seems to conflict with the incentive uh, that most elected officials have, which is to get re-election. So anyway, that—that's I think always an issue when you're talking about uh, spending money on capital projects as opposed to, you know, budget type of stuff. I
1: agree. Yeah. 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 Um,
0: all right. So you work with a lot of innovative startups who come to you to help them navigate the challenges of getting to market. Um, For what I understand uh, you are fantastic at that and you, you help companies securing pilot projects and undertake design initiatives and, and launching, which I know is closest to your heart, these community impact initiatives. Uh, I know you're a consultant, uh, but I'm going to ask you to be magnanimous here. And can you give some free advice to the founders and entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast as to both the challenges that they're going to face in staying the course and, of course, the opportunities and payoffs down the road?
1: For sure. Yeah. You know, I think um, challenges is obviously a, a huge topic for a place like New York City. I don't think it's an easy market to navigate, that's, you know, that's why the work that I do exists. But um, I think, you know, a big challenge is really understanding where to start. Um, What I've seen a lot of founders and companies do is, uh, you know, New York does have sort of this ample opportunity that exists here, um, you know, that's changed in light of, you know, the landscape because of COVID, but, you know, still there's so, there's so many sort of different ways to enter the market and to think about entering the market. And I think oftentimes what, you know, my team and I have found is that uh, companies, founders will uh, maybe not do their sort of due diligence and really understanding the market. And so it's really easy to kind of get roped into the, the shiny pearly, Thing right that you think just looks great or someone has told you about or you have one or two conversations and it it sounds like you should go after that. Um, I think ultimately, though, you can spend a lot of time in New York sort of chasing different things that you know you've heard about or you've had discussions with uh, various stakeholders about and not see the real ROI why on that i think particularly when we're talking about founders right who are looking to scale have limited resources it's really about understanding your market where do you start um who's your customer right is it government that you're selling to or is it uh you know specific community or uh you know, you know it's funny just i'm sorry i interrupt.
0: sorry i I sorry to let you finish the thought but but what you just said oh, strikes such a chord with me um you know cuz obviously we do marketing and public relations for a lot of a lot of startups or you know venture-backed companies and i'm always amazed that you have companies that have fantastic ideas but don't know who they're selling to don't understand their audience that well you know and that it it's astounding but i think you hit on something that that a lot of startups are plagued with
1: For sure. Yeah, no, I I know I've gotten to uh, collaborate with the, the antenna group and you all do some amazing work. And so I think, yes, similarly to I'm sure conversations you all have. I think, um, you know, a big part of the challenge is really, you know, knowing your customer because there there could potentially be a lot of customers in this very large market. And so, you know, do you tear that out? Who do you think of as sort of the priority moving forward? And then how do you build a strategy around that versus saying, hey, I can, you know, I can potentially do a lot of different things for a lot of different groups. And then you find yourself spread thin, uh, you know, working towards something that you you know, you're not seeing again the the ROI on. And so I think that's a challenge. I think uh, in terms of opportunity, I think if you do that piece, right, of knowing your customer, uh, knowing your opportunities, particularly when you're looking at government, right, understanding who are you selling to? Um, you know what what opportunities have existed in terms of contracts, pilot projects, design challenges that you know are up your alley. Then you can be a lot more targeted, right? And I think the beautiful thing about taking time to know your customer and doing that customer segmentation piece is really once you know who those folks are being able to galvanize millions of people, right, within one area. Um, And I think that's really exciting because traction matters and demand matters. Um, I think particularly for startups, right, not only in terms of the fundraising Portion, but also in terms of you know building champions and so a lot of what I'll talk about or I'll do alongside my team is really thinking through you know once you know who those, those where to go and who those customers are how do you also build sort of these exciting champions that are you know also moving your brand forward moving your story forward and getting you in front of your customers um, so yeah that's that's what I would say are some unique challenges but also some exciting opportunities here
0: that's great. Um, and you mentioned, you know, you have an academic background when it comes to economics. And I'm sure it's something that, uh, you know, in, in your professional life, you, you've continued to uh, uh, be exposed to. And uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to put your economist hat on right now. And, and I'm going to ask you a macroeconomic question. Uh, and that's your perspective on what seems to a lot of people to be a bubble that's emerged right now around clean mobility and clean transportation, which, uh, I think we both would agree as part and parcel is certainly you know foundational to what smart cities will look like, uh, so valuations in the private and public markets are through the roof for companies that you know are pre revenue, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but they are um, and entering markets that have little infrastructure right now uh, and little to no regulatory direction so you know what are your thoughts on that um, and uh you know again, no crystal ball, but more analysis
1: yeah, you know. I think it's definitely interesting to see the amount of mobility companies that I think, as you've mentioned, have gained a lot of traction. Um, I think, you know, ultimately what's happening is to your point, right? Infrastructure takes a, a longer term vision and, and one that I think a lot of, um, you know, key stakeholders on the government side don't necessarily have the incentive for thinking through uh, long term or thoroughly. And so what's exciting about kind of the startup ecosystem is seeing um, innovators who want to solve that problem, a lot of them experiencing it first and then asking, hey, how do I, how do I become a solution to this? Um, I think old- Ultimately, though, and I talk about this a lot in when I started working with mobility companies and micro mobility companies, folks don't want these exciting transportation opportunities or excuse me, options. The issue is that, you know, we don't have the current infrastructure to actually support a lot of them, right? And so what does it look like to build that? I think uh, that's why I mentioned earlier about kind of figuring out how do we test some of these exciting solutions, uh, learn from them and iterate on them Um, could be a really great way for not just cities, but I think every sort of every region that wants to benefit from more micro or excuse me, more mobility options to really think through. Um, you know, I, I think that ultimately it has to be a regulatory um, a topic, right? It has to be something that has moved forward through regulation and I think it's a really challenging time to talk about cities investing in infrastructure in light of, you know, what we're seeing as an economic recession. Um, or downturn but I, I think ultimately we're not going to get where we need to be in terms of you know infrastructure if we don't actually invest right on the government side and we're talking a lot of money here um, and so I, I think that micro mobility solutions are going to continue to pop up I think there's a real demand for it, and we see that all the time across New York whether that be you know the line bikes of the world the revels of the world vias right I think vias actually, a really interesting uh, topic because you know what they're doing is, is serving as kind of a uh, while they're micro mobility they're also serving as kind of a public asset for transportation for transportation or public transportation itself and have been doing a lot of work uh, focused on collaborating with government um, but ultimately you know we we do need infrastructure investment. And I, I, um, I hope that, you know, whether it's the governor, the mayor, or our, you know, our president, that we will see more of that coming down the line. I think that what would be nice to see, though, to actually drive this would be uh, more corporations uh, teaming up and more companies teaming up to actually push on these things. I think a lot of times it's, hey, I'm going to figure out how to enter this market, but I think there's a lot of power. And we, we did work on a little bit of this in terms of building larger initiatives for how do we actually get EVs here, right? How do we build infrastructure around them for them to succeed? And so I think that the big picture has to be just as important to companies as the kind of, you know, very uh, targeted and specific strategy for growth
0: yeah. And again, that's that's another great example of sometimes misaligned incentives where, you know, corporate America needs to show revenue growth and profitability quarter to quarter. And again, long-term investments can sometimes be difficult. Although I think we do have to give credit to, you know, the big OEM, you know, auto manufacturers who, uh, you know, may have been slightly late to the game on EVs, but, and even AVs, but, but have put a lot of, you know, R&D money and, and have, um, you know, invested in a lot of the startups and I think are, are, are getting out ahead of a lot of the innovation. So anyway, Shante, thank you so much uh, for all of your insights and sharing your background. And uh, this has been incredibly uh, insightful and useful, and, and I appreciate it. And as always, uh, I give my guests the last word. So here's an open platform if there's any, any issue or topic we didn't address today. Uh, and also, if you can recommend, you know, one or two books that you've read recently or read a long time ago that, uh, you know, really impacted your worldview.
1: Thank you so much, Keith, for having me. Um, I think in terms of, you know, closing out, I would really love to uh, share an article that I wrote recently for the Milken Institute focused on the future of uh, inclusive and sustainable cities, and really talking about the importance of public-private partnerships. How do we continue to drive innovation, uh, move technologies towards uh, supporting, I think decision-making on the public sector side, um, but also you know, driving uh, ROI on the private sector side. And so uh, would love to, again, have your readers take a look at that and, and hear thoughts, but more importantly, continue the discourse. In terms of a book um, that I've read recently and would recommend to folks, um, is the Optimist telescope uh, thinking ahead in a reckless age um, by Bina Venkatarman um, and she was actually a climate advisor to uh, uh, the Obama administration previously and you know the book really looks at how do we think long term which has actually been a theme during our discussion here today about uh, the impact of our decisions um, not only as individuals but I think as communities as uh, company leaders as uh, you know public official decision makers and so I would highly recommend everyone check that out and um, you know learn a little bit more about how we can think about sustainability from a different perspective.
0: Shante thank you that's fantastic and, and we will make sure to uh, in our show notes to post a link to uh, the article you wrote for the Milken Institute which I did read and it's fantastic uh, and again very insightful and useful for for these kinds of conversations. Shante thanks again for being a guest on Raising Your Antenna and uh, look forward to being in touch soon.
1: Same here. Thanks so much for having me, Keith, and looking forward to staying in touch with you and the team.
0: And another episode of Raising Your Antenna is in the books. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and look forward to connecting again next week. Raising Your Antenna is a weekly podcast hosted by yours truly, Keith Zakheim, that features the movers and shakers and key influencers of the B2B technology industry. Our guests are leading revolutions and disruptions in the mobility, clean energy, healthcare, and real estate technology industries. Raising Your Antenna is brought to you by Antenna Group, a full-service digital marketing and public relations agency that focuses on the B2B technology industry. Please be in touch with me on Twitter at CZachheim with any feedback about this podcast. And check out Antenna Group at www.antennagroup.com. If your organization is looking for a really smart and good-looking marketing and public relations partner,